For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What is going on? It is the Ethos Clippers podcast coming at you on a Tuesday evening. Brandon Marcus here. My guest today, Law Murray of The Athletic. Right before we get to Law, though, and we talk some Clippers basketball, folks, there's no such thing as a fantasy offseason, only the pre-draft season. Here at Sports Ethos, the pre-draft season has already begun. Our expert analysis are churning out important lessons learned and draft analysis on incoming rookies so you can get a jump on your prep. We'll have incredible free agency and summer league coverage as well, but only if you're part of our premium member team. Head over to sportsethos.com now and click on the premium tab to grab a fancy pass today. Seriously, cook yourself one extra lunch per month. Come on, come on, because it's only $5.99. See you guys there. All right, we're not going to waste any time. There's a lot going on in Clipperland, and so I'm going to bring Law in straight away. We were actually scheduled to record this podcast yesterday, Law, and then John Wall had other ideas so let's start there before we get to anything else. Are you surprised by this almost happening? Not It hasn't happened yet. I'll believe it when I actually see it. John Wall going to the Clippers when there's been talk, of course, about Kyrie. And I never thought Kyrie was leaving the Nets. Uh, I said it never made sense for Brooklyn to blow it up when they've traded away all their draft picks. But John Wall is a guy that you wrote about that is a possibility for the Clippers to come to the Clippers. So I'm assuming that you're not that surprised that he could be on the way to L.A. No, there's no surprise there at all. Uh, These free agent target articles that I'll put together, they're crapshoots. I'm not going to front. Like (laughs) if anyone saw the one that I put together last year, I mean, it was about as I mean, now it, it exists for your entertainment only. You know what I mean? I, I put guys on there like Trevor Ariza, Taylor Horton Tucker, dudes who wound up either going to the Lakers just to not finish the season for the Lakers or staying with the Lakers only to get clowned all year because he wasn't Alex Caruso. And those are just two other, in my opinion, better guys that I put on that list last year. This year, just just had had different feelings. Obviously, I tell everybody free agency is such where – you have to really plan in years in advance to get multiple significant contributors. And if you're, if you're even getting one, if you're even getting one, like that's still a big deal. Like look at last year's golden state warriors, their starting lineup. None of those dudes were new to the team. Right. And, and it's maybe cherry picking to use not just the champion, but Mm -hmm. that champion, you know, a team that's won four and eight years uh, a team that has more continuity uh, than anybody else uh, in terms of in terms of you know looking at five years ago who were still on the team. Yeah. But that is like you just got to look like you're not getting you, you know typically you're not setting yourself up for more than one major contributor in free agency. 
And I just felt like John Wall made sense if he got bought out. It, I, I felt like he might get bought out. And here, here we are. Let's talk about the money because there's been a lot talked about on Clippers Twitter about where Isaiah Hartenstein would fit in with the Clippers if he resigned. There was a lot of talk about him taking um, the exact money that people are talking that John Wall is now going to take because he passed up $7 million, um, I believe, on the buyout is what he decided to um, take off the table. And he would most likely get that from whatever team he signs with. So we won't talk about Isaiah quite yet, but does that seem to fit where you believe he'll go in with the Clippers? Is that mid-level exception around that $7 million mark? I think that's the that's I think that's the expectation. I think we'd be it would be a surprise if uh he took less than that. Um, is there any certainly. way for him to take any less than that apart from the minimum? Is it just the minimum and the mid-level exception? Is there anything else he could possibly do? Well, what you could do with the with, with that TP, you could you could or not TP. We're talking that's something completely different. Yeah. Um. So, so many so many terms here yeah, that I only use three weeks out of the entire year. <laughs> um. But you can actually break that apart. What you can't do is you can't use the traded players exception, which is a completely different thing that the Clippers keep saying they don't care if they use or not. Um, but other people seem to want to use it for them. Um, but <laughs> you can break that apart. But that mean, that remains to be seen. Uh, I, I do feel like whatever w- whatever the terms are, I think John's going to wind up being here uh, because the point guard market you got teams that they yeah, they might look for one, but John Wall's in a different part of his career. Uh, this dude hasn't gotten to play in a playoff game since 2018, and that was a first round exit in a year where he missed half the season. So it's been a long time. Um, his next playoff game, if it's in 2023, five years, and now he's going to be 32 in September. Whatever the terms are, he'll get it done. Um, I don't think Wall is the question. I think the question is everybody else, probably. Let me ask you something about John Wall, because there's always talk every single trade deadline. The Clippers need a point guard. The Clippers need a point guard. And I think everybody kind of realized, hey, they don't really need a point guard because Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, when healthy, are initiating the offense. And Reggie Jackson has done a pretty damn good job the last couple of years. So... Do you think that this was a need that the Clippers just filled, or was it more of, hey, this is a guy in John Wall who has had a couple of rough seasons. We've revitalized guys like Zoo and made him into a pretty legit dude, but Toom, even better example of a guy that has career kind of fallen off. Zoo wasn't really used in LA. We'll talk about him later. But do you think this is more of a project that they thought, hey, we can have him possibly become a third star type guy? Or do you think this is more filling a need that everybody's talking about a ball handler, the Clippers are a guy that they need a ball handler in order to have success? Honestly, I feel like it was more of a soft need. I don't look at John Wall as a as a project or, or a rehabilitation thing. I think they got John Wall because they could get John Wall. And, and if you're looking for that, I mean, Nico needed – a, a situation to continue his career. Yeah. Um, 
Reggie Jackson, yeah. a guy who openly contemplated retirement, you know, multiple times. He's a guy who needed a place where he could be himself again, right? Those are different cases than a guy like John Wall, who is more in the, ironically, the DeMarcus Cousins family of these kinds of situations. Yes, DeMarcus and John were both on the Houston Rockets together, in addition to the Kentucky Wildcats of 2010. So when I, what I mean by that is, Demarcus came to the Clippers after being a midseason wave by the 2021 Rockets uh, because the Clippers needed a, a center with Serge dealing with back issues, mm-hmm. and Demarcus needed a team after missing all that time with his lower leg injuries. It's the same situation here. John, he he he's him. Uh, I've watched John Wall videos uh, for more than just this year, uh, really since the bubble, because people forget in 2020, right before the pandemic, he was actually shuttling between the G League, um, getting himself possibly to return. But then the full scope of the pandemic became apparent and that was put on hold. So in other words, he was more than ready to return to the NBA by the time the 2021 season began in December. Now, flash forward after not playing again, but this time not because of injury, but because of the situation with the Houston Rockets, right? Same thing. John Wall doesn't need to be rehabbed. We all knew John Wall could play, and John Wall would have played last year if he wasn't in you know the situation where the Rockets just had no incentive to play him on uh, the terms that John Wall wanted to play on. So, you know, in terms of in terms of that narrative, if you will, this isn't this isn't that. Now, in terms of the Clippers needing a point guard, look, they changed their philosophy about the point guard position from the trade deadline of 2021, where Lou Williams was traded for Rondo, right, to the trade deadline of 2022, where Eric Bledsoe, who was acquired for Rondo and Beverly in the first place, wound up getting traded for Norman Powell, mm-hmm. a guard. A ball handler, a playmaker, not a point guard, not a your traditional facilitator. I think the front office was all in on. Eh, we don't need a star point guard. Tyron Ty, Tyron Lou was not. Um, not that Tyron Lou was like we we need a star, but Tyron Lou was like Tyron Lou made it you know as clear as Tyron Lou makes things clear, which is not very. Hmm. Um, but you know, you around Ty Lue enough, you, you can tell between when he's being facetious or not. And I think Ty Lue would have appreciated having another point guard besides Reggie Jackson on the roster. Simple as that. Like, we were talking about Justice Winslow as the potential backup point guard when last season started. Yeah. People are going to forget that real quick because that never materialized. But the the fact of the matter is, even with Jason Press coming back, even with Reggie Jackson showing what he could do, even with the front office having this epiphany of we have two big wings who are going to make all the plays anyway, even with them adding Norm Powell, who is basically a mini version of that philosophy, even with Terrence Mann, even with all these pieces, it's nice to have a guy who can play point guard at the NBA level. If something ever happened to Reggie, which did not happen last year, um, you it, it's just smart to have somebody. What a luxury it is to, for that guy to be John Wall. Yeah, and what he could possibly turn into. I mean, he like you said, he's got the skills, he's got the ability to score, he's a tremendous passer, and you wrote a good article breaking down the beneficiaries of uh, John Wall coming to the Clippers and who each player and how it would affect them. 
And I thought it was interesting when you brought up Reggie Jackson and talking about the starting role and whether it would be Reggie Jackson, whether it would be John Wall. And you chatted about how, you know, Ty Lue started Eric Bledsoe when he came over to the Clippers. So could he possibly do the same thing with John Wall and start him with the Clippers? I'm, I want to offer my thoughts and then I want to get yours because Reggie Jackson and the continuity that he brought to the Clippers last year, I thought was really important and especially how well he played with Paul George. And it just seemed like he was a guy that, I mean, you look at chemistry and it feels like chemistry is important for this Clippers team. It's really important. You bring in a guy like John Wall and you certainly have the ability to mess up that chemistry for lack of a better way to explain it. And maybe you do bring him off the bench. I would like to see him come off the bench, but at the same time, if you're going to start him, it feels like there's no better time to do it at the start of the year when you get a chance to see how it works. And if it doesn't, you can always bring him off the bench as you get in later towards the season. So I think I'm on team start Reggie Jackson over John Wall. Uh, But at the same time, I can see why you would start him over Reggie. Or do you think the two of them could start together, just like you said, with Reggie Jackson playing with Eric Bledsoe? How do you see it shaking out? Well, I want to clarify. I don't see Reggie and and John Wall starting together. I didn't think so. Keep in mind, John Wall and Reggie, I mean, John Wall and Eric Bledsoe. Oh, Lord, I am getting all these point guards mixed (laughs) up, man. Uh, Once again, we are talking about the Clippers, not the University of Kentucky. (laughs) Going back. Fall of 2021, we're in San Diego State. I'm thinking for sure Eric Bledsoe is coming off the bench because I was like, if Patrick Beverly was here, he probably was going to come off the bench. Or maybe you start Bev and Jackson together, but you have Terrence Mann. Nah, Ty Lue was like, we're going to start Reggie and Eric together with Paul and Marcus and Zoo. That's going to be the starting lineup opening or, or week one. Um, unfortunately for the Clippers, uh, most things were unfortunate for the Clippers this year. Um, <laughs> that lineup really didn't get any kind of run. Um, you, we saw the first two games, uh, we didn't see it at all in the preseason and then Marcus was out and then it was a mess. We didn't, we really didn't see it by the time Marcus got back. Blood was on his way to the second unit, but the point of that lineup, even though we all saw all those early comebacks was because that starting lineup put the team in holes <laughs> and then Paul and you know uh, the second unit led by Terrence Luke and Isaiah had to dig them out of the holes right mm-hmm. and Nico um, well Nico's Nico wound up starting a lot but the whole point was it Ty Lu he goes with a lineup going into camp he knows what he wants to do he sticks to it for about 10 games and then he makes whatever adjustments it is he took a little bit longer uh, last year, but by December, he was like, I need to give Eric his own unit. Um, but what that also meant was Eric being a new player on the team, he was going to defer to the fact that he's a veteran and that he's a guy who's earned his place in the league. Eric had not been coming off the bench since he was a clipper the first go round. Yeah. And now you got to look at John Wall. John Wall has started every single game he's played since 2013. Reggie Jackson, the ironic thing about Reggie is Ty tried to keep Reggie Jackson in the the regular rotation the first, um, I want to say, 10 games of Ty's first season. Yeah. 
And you remember what wound up happening, yeah. Brandon? Like after that, Reggie kind of disappeared. But that disappearance didn't last long enough for anybody to remember because Reggie was needed to start once Patrick Beverly's knee started acting up. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you flash forward to now. Reggie is at a different place in his career. Did Reggie trip in Oklahoma City when it became clear that he was good enough to start but was blocked by you know a future MVP in Russell Westbrook? Yes, he did. He always had started in Detroit. But when he came to the Clippers, he he came off the bench. When Ty got the job, they considered starting Reggie, but ultimately Reggie was on the outskirts of the rotation. Um, and then Reggie's season was more or less more relevant because Patrick Beverly missed so much time with so many recurring knee issues, which it was really the greasing that led to Pat's departure the following offseason. So now you got a guy in John Wall. It's like John Wall or Reggie Jackson. Look, Reggie means a lot to this team and will continue to as he enters the final year of his contract. But John Wall is a former All-Star, a former All-NBA player. And even though he wasn't any of those things with the Houston Rockets when he did play those 40 games, he was still a, he was still a guy who Reggie Jackson has never quite been in his career, especially as a playmaker and distributor. And that's why... You don't really ask John Wall to come off the bench. Um, I think John Wall's coming to the Clippers to start. That's a great point. I, I never thought of the he has never come off the bench. He's been starting his entire career because, you know, he's been out of the spotlight for a couple of years now. And you just think of just the Clippers team and you don't even think about the other factors. That's a great point, Law, that he, he really has never come off the bench. And so most likely it makes sense for him to start. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. Now, one of the consequences of John Wall coming to the Clippers is that it's possible now that Isaiah Hartenstein does not. It seemed like the Clippers were going to re-sign Batum, we're going to re-sign Zoo, they're going to re-sign Hartenstein, bring it all back. It seemed like all those guys wanted to come back to the Clippers, and then all of a sudden, the money that you thought was going to go to Hartenstein, the mid-level exception, because he certainly played his way into a contract that's around that amount last season. Now you wonder, there is the option, of course, to do what you did with Nick Batum last year and give him a lower salary. And then you have his bird rights for this year. And then you were able to give a bigger contract the following year. So he wouldn't make as much this year, this coming up for Hartenstein, but you have the ability to get a longer contract next year. Do you think that's something that's going to happen with the Clippers or do you think they lose Hart now? Obviously this could completely be stale by the time we post this podcast, the way things are going. But do you, do you think that Hartenstein comes back at a lower amount and then maybe gets his money next year? And depending on your editing, man, um, <laughs> I'd say I, I, like he's restricted, so yeah. he can't do anything. The Clippers can't do anything. You know, heck, Isaiah, he's still in the gym out here in L.A. So, um, you know, the difference between Isaiah and Nico is simply put, Nico is getting paid by another team and is at the complete opposite end of his career or part of his career. Um, and it still worked out for Nico where he's likely to opt out and likely to resign uh, with those bird rights. The question with Isaiah is going to simply come down to, do you want to play on the Clippers or do you want to do uh, the reasonable thing? Uh, honestly, and take care paid. of yourself now. And if, I'm not going to say one way or the other where it's going because I truly think I I was saying this to somebody recently 
Um, if Isaiah was DeAndre Jordan, we'd be using emojis right now to this, to to go through this situation. This is really going to be about the Clippers are a team that has championship expectations and the vibes are great there. The front office knew what Isaiah was capable of. They wanted him to be a part of that training camp battle. Isaiah got his contract guaranteed while he was hurt during this past year. So the front office knew what they had in Isaiah. The coaching staff, I would argue the coaching staff took a little while to figure out what Isaiah's skill set was, the full scope of it. But by the end of the year, you saw everything from the passing and the facilitating that you saw early in the year to acknowledging that the guy can shoot the three ball comfortably. Uh, And then you look at his teammates. Ironically, one of the reasons why Isaiah Hartenstein changed representation in the middle of the year is because so many Clippers are CAA guys. And Isaiah has built that bond from before training camp started, before the battle with Harry Giles began. Um, Everyone understood like what Isaiah was capable of that. Like they clicked immediately. And Isaiah has been through three organizations that were not the Clippers and understands it ain't like that everywhere else. Even on good teams, he was on a good team in Houston. You know, uh, he was drafted to a team in 2017 that was about to get Chris Paul. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he spent his G League, his rookie year, entirely in the G League, watching the Rockets be the best team in the NBA during the regular season, and come uh, with two chances to make the NBA Finals. Obviously, they fell short. So that hey, that was a good team. He's played with superstars. He's played with Harden. He's played with Chris Paul, he's played with Russell Westbrook. And then another good team, he goes to Denver and learns even more from uh, Nikola Jokic, who was about to win the first of two MVPs. And then he goes to Cleveland. Not a good team when he was there, but obviously one of the reasons he opted out is because he saw the big men situation, got out, and Cleveland had themselves a winning record. So this is a player who, like, he has every reason to come back to the Clippers, and he has every reason to... Uh, secure his future and I'll be happy for him with whatever decision he chooses and we'll see exactly what the process of that choice winds up being. So basically we'll find out whether he is going to go with loyalty in a team that he thinks could possibly win a title versus getting money. It, It feels like it's just one of those two options for him. Yeah, and I don't even like the word loyalty in a lot of these situations. Yeah, because it's not I mean, there's not there's also not a better word to use. I mean you're trusting Maybe that's the better word. It really it's about trust because, like you said, you can go with the one plus one, right? Uh, get them early bird rights in twenty twenty three and secure the bag that way. Um, or you could look at the fact that the Clippers just extended a center for three years, eleven million. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just Isaiah has a decision to make, and I wish him the best of luck making that decision. It feels like it would be in his best interest to sign somewhere else where he can put up numbers and be a guy that can get more minutes. Because, I mean, Law, you look at the playoffs, and it's funny now because when you look at the Clippers, it feels like you're just thinking playoffs at this point. How does this team look in the postseason? And if they're going to go small, that means they're going to have Batum, Rocco, Marcus, if he's still on the roster, playing center. And you have Zoo, of course. That kind of leaves Hartenstein on the out 
and, and where he's possibly on the outside looking in. I mean, you even look now at what his what the team would look like, and I don't even think he's in the top ten on the Clippers. So it doesn't feel like it makes sense for him to come back, and it feels like the only reason why he would come back is because the Clippers took a chance on him, they developed him well, and he's got a good repertoire with the rest of the team. It feels like that would be the only reason. I mean, you know, sometimes guys just want to be with their guys, man. Yeah. That's a, that's a big thing. Basketball is a sport you got to feel. And, uh, like, it's when, when, when you're playing and when you're traveling and when you're going through everything the Clippers went through last year, like, that's it's, it's it's going to be tough for Isaiah to leave and it might not be as tough for Isaiah to stay ride this wave another year knowing that if things fall completely apart he can opt into that player option you know to protect himself but if things go the way that they're expected to go he's opting out and he's going to be taken care of one way or the other so i mean it's just it really comes down to when you look at the role, you look at the play in. I had people getting at me being like, if Isaiah Hartenstein leaves, it's because he didn't play in the play in or he got, um, you know, he got benched early in the play in. And it's like they did what they felt like they had to do to win. I mean, Ty is going to, his biggest adjustment is going to go small. And Isaiah knows that too. He's got to know that. I look at Isaiah right now if he comes back as the backup center. Yes, the Clippers will be going small more often because they're expected to have the big wing personnel to support that style. They did not last year. That's one reason why the defense was so bad. That's one reason why Nicholas Batum wound up starting uh, at small forward at age 33. Um, you know, that's just yeah. not how Ty wanted it to go, but that's how that's how it had to go. Um, Isaiah knows the whole situation, and – I look at him as the backup center, which sometimes is going to feel like the third string center if he's back. Yeah, I agree. It feels like it feels like there's it would take a lot for his value to crash this season and for him not to get paid next year because he injuries happen so often and he is now a guy where the tape is out on him. And I think there's going to be a couple smart GMs next year that would give him money that he would have gotten this year. So maybe he takes that chance this year, tries to go for a title, sees what his role is like, and then maybe next year is when he could get paid um, if he doesn't see the possible future in a long-term role with the Clippers. So I, th- I, th- I think that makes sense. And you brought up Zoo, and it's worth talking about him now because he signed today that three-year $33 million extension. And good for him, a guy that has worked his ass off ever since he got traded for Mike Muscala. So thanks a lot to the Lakers for that one. Um, and he's a guy that's going to start at center, and he is another player that could easily find himself on the bench come playoff time because the Clippers will go small. But it does feel like this is a great signing for the Clippers. $11 million a year sounds seems very fair. I understand the point that you may not play him a ton in the playoffs at times, but for what he does during the regular season to your defense and his ability to rebound and just his Iron Man like record that he has had with the Clippers, it feels like a no brainer. Three years, 33. You'd agree? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, what's ironic is bringing back this article I wrote last year. Um, <laughs> I keep, I, I, I did not think I'd be talking about the article ever, um, but here we are. 
Um, Rashawn Holmes was actually my target. Mm, that's and a good player. Rashawn Holmes was a guy yeah. who wound up signing for about $33 million over four years because um, of the player option that, that he has. So it's actually a little more than that. Um, but it's 33 guaranteed if you don't count uh, the $12 million player option in the fourth year of it. And what's funny about that is Rashawn is a player who I was like, well, you know, if Serge doesn't pick up his option and you need a center, Rashawn would be a guy who could slide in as a starter. Mm-hmm. Obviously, knowing that that was extremely unlikely and that I just wanted to fill the position. If you were looking for a center, who would you look for? In 2021, I'd say I liked Rashawn Holmes. I like I thought he was a really good shot blocker, rebounder, a guy who can finish, a guy who won't kill you from the free throw line. Yeah. In a lot of ways, that's a lot like Avitza Zubats. Avitza Zubats is a guy who finishes. He 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 rebounds. He blocks shots. He's not a dynamic shot blocker by any means, but he finally averaged a 1.0 uh, blocks a game. And the thing is, some of those games were highlight blocks. The rock, the game in Houston was incredible. Oh yeah, where he had, where he set his career high, saved the game with a block. That challenge where Rocco got the rebound and, and Lou was like, or we're challenging this and they won the challenge and didn't have to go with a jump ball. Like zoo had the game in Denver where, um, and, and I'm like beaming, you know, because like, if you saw this man, you know, he struggled to begin the year. He was coming off an MCL injury that a lot of people didn't realize. And because he shows up in camp and he still looks like a giant human being playing basketball, playing in every game that he can, you don't realize it, but, Zeus struggled with that knee injury late that he suffered late June in the conference finals against the Suns. That's right. And and once he got over it, that's when he started playing a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm happy for Zoo. I'm happy for what the Clippers, they continually mm-hmm. said that they believe in him from the front office, from the players. Paul George was like, Zoo can be a monster. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, um, he's Looked at Montrez Harrell have to play more minutes than him, even though Zoo is starting. Then they bring in Serge Ibaka to be the starter, um, and Zoo had to adjust to that. And then Zoo had to adjust to the fact that he was the longest tenured player on this team when last season started. You know, um, a new big man coach in Jay Laranaga, uh, when Roy Rogers went with Chauncey Billups. Zoo is not the highest ceiling kind of player, but at the same time, the Clippers have continuously and consistently believed in him, and he's consistently reciprocated uh, what he's able to do. He's a team player. This dude stands on an island defending Luka Doncic and doesn't, you know, he's got no ego. Like, again, sometimes it's more than just basketball. Sometimes it's like, who are the people in that locker room? Who are the people that's going to hold people accountable and also keep themselves open to being held accountable themselves. And that's the kind of player you want. Yeah. He's a guy that just is great for the chemistry and someone that truly does work his ass off. And I remember his hands were an issue and he worked to make sure that his hands were great in traffic. And he's a guy that, yeah, that you want on your team. And I'm glad to have him on the Clippers. I'm looking forward to seeing what he now does in the next couple of years. But it kind of brings us to the depth on this team. Um, and Law, I, I'm going to tell you some names here. We got Reggie Jackson, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, Zoo, 
John Wall, Luke Kennard, Norman Powell, Terrence Mann, Robert Covington. That's 10. Then you have Amir Coffey, Nicholas Batum, Isaiah Hartenstein, if you re-sign, which I, I don't think he's going to. Just based on what we're talking about, it just feels like he may get more money elsewhere. But I can see why he would do it and possibly get paid next year. So that's a lot of players, man. That's, that's 13 very good players. And there's now talk um, amongst the Clippers fans. Does a trade need to happen? They've got a lot of depth. There are people that are on the side of, hey, depth is a good thing, especially when you've got guys who are old like Batum and Marcus Morris and Kawhi and PG have gotten hurt. You don't know what you're going to get out of John Wall. And then there's others in the camp that say, you know what, you might want to consolidate and make a trade because that's a lot of guys and there are going to be some players going to be pissed off that they're not getting time. I, I was very much on the consolidate um, side. I, I thought that a trade made a lot of sense. I think it really depends who you get back in return, so it's hard to even discuss this without even knowing what the trade would be. But it kind of feels like with how many guys have gotten hurt, Amir Coffey's a guy that had a great stretch last season, no doubt about that, but he, I think he still needs some seasoning. He's a guy that needs more development, and Hartenstein's a guy that's probably okay get being the backup center, and then who knows what you're going to get from other guys. Not everyone's going to stay healthy. So I think they're okay with the team that they have and probably don't need to make a trade, but I understand why they would. Do you think a trade is something that they should do? And granted, again, like I said, it's hard to say yes or no because you don't know who's coming back in return. Um, well, I'll tell you what. That trade, that thing feels like it's burning a hole in a pocket, doesn't it? Yeah, the, 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 that trade uh, exception. The, the trade exception, right? Yeah. All I can say is this. On a team in a vacuum, you'd you'd be like, what else do we need? What more assets can we get back? Stuff like that. But on this Clippers team, especially after the season that I just saw, I think the Clippers are perfectly fine having a super stacked third string Mm -hmm. for a year and hoping that works because one of three things is going to happen. And I'm starting with three because – Brandon, you and I are having a legitimate conversation. Like yeah. we went over what we were going to talk about. This ain't a rehearsal. Yeah. I'm not really looking at anything. You know what I'm saying? Um, one of three things happens when you got a team this deep. The best case scenario is you get out to a great start, and especially with the chemistry that the Clippers already have, the vibes are so good that everybody's like, "Let's go." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, there's the other side to that, if you don't get off to a good start at all and you got guys who are the type of guys that say, as long as I'm playing or as long as we're winning, I'm good. Right. You hear that a lot. You know, like Marcus Boris senior was like, hey, keep Nico in the bench. We're rolling. You know, like we're winning. Let's do it. Yeah. That conversation is a lot harder to have when you're not winning. Okay, and that's when it gets to be all right. They got too many guys and it's not working when it's not working. That's when you go, we need to do something to fix it. All of a sudden, your chemistry isn't very good. It does not take long in the NBA to go from a team that likes each other to a team that all of a sudden it's like, man, the stars are back. And now everyone's all acting different. They acting brand new. That's what my people will say. Right. But then there's door number three, and that's the door that is far too relevant to the Clippers. And that is, what if somebody can't play? 
What if somebody can't play? Two of these guys who might start next season didn't play at all last year. Yeah. In John Wall and Kawhi Leonard. A third missed 50 games in Paul George. And then you got a bunch of guys who are older. Marcus is older and has not started either of the last two seasons at full strength. I think he will be at full strength this year, but he's also the guy who, on one hand, easy to say, oh, consolidation trade, you know? On the other hand, you're like, wait, Kawhi, what kind of player is Kawhi Leonard right now? Like, do we need another guy who can get a bucket, and especially in the mid-range? And Marcus is the type that will help you do that while Kawhi is adjusting back to being not just an NBA player, but a star NBA player. There's levels to that recovery process. And one that's not uh, going to play every single day also. He, I mean, he's going to exactly. be sitting out games. That's the big part of it, Brandon. Like, I'm, if everyone love, would love to – when Kawhi got here, everyone was thinking that the Clippers were going to be like the 2019 Toronto Raptors. Well, guess what? The 2019 Toronto Raptors, they had to deal with the fact that Kawhi didn't play a single back-to-back and missed 22 regular season games overall. Mm-hmm. And then he still had to drag his leg in the postseason, okay, which compromised his ability to play back-to-backs in this first year with the Clippers. Um, that was something that there, people did not have an understanding of it, and therefore they started ripping on Kawhi because of things. Uh, that dominated the discussion. I think we're a lot more enlightened about the process of getting through a season and protecting a player, especially when a star is involved. And so that's when it's like, okay, on paper – that third string looks like some dudes who need to play. But in reality, in practice, especially after you know Kawhi's history, especially after you saw what happened to Paul, some freak accident that cost him the balance of most of the season, really. Even Norm. Norm shows up and a week later. Breaks his foot almost. He hurts his foot and all of a sudden yeah. Ty Lue says, wow, now I don't have a backup point guard and I don't have a, the cook, if you will. To get to get them through mid February, through to March. I mean that Rockets Lakers uh, poo poo platter that had wait had them waiting for them when they came back from Texas certainly helped things out a little bit. But by mid March, that stretch was kicking the Clippers' ass. So when you look at all those factors, all those guys are talented. They're good guys. They're good teammates. They understand what the deal might be they have a great coaching communicator in Ty Lue and they understand it's a long season. I don't think any of those dudes who went through all the extra stuff of playing last year are going to immediately go into complaining about the situation. They lost a playoff spot in the last week of the season, not even the last week, the last game they lost the purgatory week, PG to COVID they lost them in the final game. Do you know how – I mean, we can go on and on, and Brandon, and be like, hey, one week doesn't define a season. Yeah, That's some nice thing that you – you know, when you do your little season recap, that's some have a great summer shit right there. <laughs> None of them dudes – Reggie Jackson literally was like, man, I've been, I've been doing a lot. But when those dudes come back, they owe me some hardware. Come on, man. Reggie ain't tripping about coming off the bench after the season he went through last year. Reggie Jackson, you the top option on the scouting report. We going to treat you like that. He went the whole season like that. Trust me, Reggie ain't tripping. So this is a different team. They have expectations, but they also understand, they have a unique understanding of the fragility of, you know, what 
injuries can have. We complain all the time. If healthy, if at full strength and all that other stuff. Well, here's the flip side. You might not be at full strength, but you damn sure got the best third string in the league right now. So you might want to keep that instead of shopping around so you can get some team's uh, late first round draft pick or something. Or so you can feel better about, you know, uh, basically what the Boston Celtics did. Be like, hey, our third string is a bunch of dudes who are about to play in our summer league team. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true. And I talked with Shane last week, and Shane was talking about how the Clippers should be one of the favorites, considered probably the favorite next season. I said, you can't do that yet. You can't do that because this team hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy. And that's the biggest thing when it comes to winning basketball games and winning titles is being healthy. And Kawhi and PG have both now gotten hurt in back-to-back seasons and just have not been able to be healthy. And with the Clippers, yes, they have that depth now, but like you and I were just talking about, Kawhi's going to be sitting games. PG's going to be sitting games. Who knows what John Wall is going to be like when he comes back. One of those 33-year-olds is going to get hurt at some point, and they're going to have to sit games. I mean, you look at Marcus, you look at Nico, they're not going to be able to play 82 games. So the depth is going to be there, sure, initially, if everybody's healthy. But as the season goes, man, it's a long grind, and you're going to need those different dudes each month as different things come up. Yeah. And so, you know, that that that's the that's the thing. The discourse of the NBA so much of it comes down to, yeah, this is your team on paper, but what else is there? Like, look at how many teams expose themselves because they didn't develop their young talent. Yeah. They didn't they weren't thoughtful about building a complimentary roster. And we're not just talking about the bad teams. You know, you get to the playoffs and it's like Oh, we ran out of guys. That's the biggest velocity. You know, you go from an 82-game players, right, to 16-game players. And I mean, you know, Draymond Green had – that was one of the best quotes when you were discussing, discussing basketball. You know, um, some like he remixed it this, this past spring. You know, sometimes you think guys are guys and they're not guys. We see it every spring. Guys who looked like world beaters – during the regular season and like you get to another level of the video game and you just get eliminated yeah. powers not working the same well now you got a team it's not just that they're deep brandon it's that all these dudes do different things you want to take marcus morris out fine you're not finding another power forward in the league who can do what he does in the mid-range in addition to the catch and shoots you want to take luke Kennard off the roster cool just a guy who led the NBA in three-point percentage. What do you think happened to the Brooklyn Nets when they lost Joe Harris this year? They didn't even trade him. They just, you know, he just got hurt. Stuff happens. He got hurt falling in the paint on a rebound. One of the most ordinary plays you can have. Dude winds up having surgery. Next time we see him, it'll be the first time since that injury. So it's not it's compliment Jason Preston is a guy who I'm so looking forward to seeing him in Vegas Brandon because he's not your point guard that you get out of school anymore you saw the NBA draft right yeah how many small point guards or guys who called themselves small point guards but really they small guns right didn't get drafted until much later than their agents thought they would be drafted yeah you're always going with the tall wings and the guys uh, those guys with length are going early Right. But on the flip side, there are some good players there, but yeah. they are either missing height or they're missing the skill set mm-hmm. that will transcend what they do. 
Jason Preston, a 6'4", pass first point guard. If he didn't play at Ohio, if he had a different rep, he would have been drafted much higher than he was. He's a kind of pass first guard that the Clippers didn't have last year. I mean, Reggie's a combo guard, really, but he's a point guard. Like, Ty had to figure out, okay, that's my point guard, you know, as a vet, as a vet. Um, you know, Eric, Eric is a good point guard, but no one ever really thought of Eric Bledsoe as a guy who is like, give him the ball and let him do everything. And then Eric still got traded. I mean, Jason is going to be a pass first guy, a guy who is looking for passes that aren't that not everybody is capable of making. Right. You know, and that's going to be their third stringer. Yeah. And, me, and, me, and meanwhile, you talk about height and someone who's, uh, I believe, six foot one is about to get over one hundred million dollars from the New York Knicks. So yeah. Jalen Brunson all of a sudden is where was he drafted, Brandon? Oh, he dude, he was a guy coming out of college that he was a warrior. He was a, a guy that I knew was going to be he fought. He fights. He fights. Yeah. He scraps. He plays hard. And those type of dudes. Yeah. I mean, he went he went late. Well, where first, was he drafted? He went late first, early third, early second. Didn't he, he? he was a second round pick. Yeah. For, he didn't even get the guaranteed deal. Yeah, he went to a good team though. Yeah, well, he that's went to a good team. That situation important. now he's carrying the bag. Yeah, and much deserved. And so we'll, we'll see what it means for the Clippers. And, and the only guy that I would even consider possibly dealing Law is is Luke. And like you said, he's a great three point shooter, and it's he's huge in a series where you're going to want spacing. And if you're given that spacing, you want a guy who's going to knock down the three and. The only reason why I even say Luke is because there are so many playoff games where it feels like he's on the outside looking in, and he's a guy that's not playing because he's not as strong defensively, and you'd rather have guys who are bigger wings. You'd rather have your Nikos on the floor. You'd rather have your Marcuses, your Rokos, your PGs, your Kawhis, of course. So it just feels like there may not be a role for him on a playoff team, and now I kind of look at these guys. Can they be one of your top eight, top nine guys in the playoffs? And sometimes it doesn't feel like Neat and Luke can be that guy. You know what I mean? You know what? Ty Lue definitely felt like that. And then Ty, what Ty Lue saw was, and this is, I, I love how we talk about this, man, and it, it just brings full circles. He saw Luke Kennard take that ball from Jalen Brunson game six in Dallas, and it, it changed a whole lot about what Ty thought Luke was capable of. Luke ain't sweet, man. Um, that dude... He's got he's a, he's a basketball savant, and it's hard to find guys like that. Yeah, and he's going to be valuable for the Clippers. I mean, he he damn near won he won them the game in Atlanta last year. I mean, he went nuts, and I think it was that third fourth quarter that he went bonkers and won them that basketball game. Let's wrap up with a guy you saw today, um, and Musa Diabate get uh, yeah. unveiled. Uh, as the newest Los Angeles Clipper. I, I talked about the draft last week with Shane. And I was saying it doesn't make sense for them to go after a guy that they think is going to play this year. Go and develop a player. It's possible they get something they stash overseas and bring back. It's possible the guy they have just be a two-way player that they develop in the G League. And they did exactly that. They went after a guy in Diabate who's going to be a G Leaguer and develop skill set, good, good defender, length, which is another thing that just continues to pop up now in the NBA. It seems like a pretty good pick, but someone that we're probably not going to hear from. Uh, I'm assuming you're excited to see him, though, in the G League. To, I mean, not the G League, pardon me, the the Summer League, to see how he does. It's it's interesting because that's not really a place for scorer. I mean, that's a place for scorers, not a guy like that's a defender in Diabate. So how do you think he fits with this team? How do you think he's going to do in the Summer League? I mean, I'm not... Look, I'm, I'm going to be real. Like, uh, 
I just hope he don't hurt nobody or himself in summer league. Like he's a super aggressive kid. Yeah. Um, and like the thing with Diabate is he is physically impressive. Um, he's disciplined. He is, he's all about the smoke. I don't know if people remember when Juwan Howard uh, got suspended because of the handshake line in Wisconsin, but uh, Diabate was right up in the middle and getting suspended too. <laughs> like, you know, you had before that uh, similar thing with Rutgers that didn't catch as many people's attention because, you know, Juwan wasn't involved and the Michigan did the, the players did a much better job holding Musa back. Uh, you see a lot of that on the court. I think, the theory of what he can become is so much uh, more pronounced than what he is right now. And I'm not just saying that because of where he is in his basketball development. I'm saying that because uh, he did not, he's got a long way to go on both ends of the floor. Yeah. Cause I think it's more apparent where he has a long way to go offensively because his shots roll and his hands aren't the best right now. And he was the fifth option in that Michigan starting lineup. But he actually did a nice job in the center actions when, you know, Hunter Dickinson wasn't running them, the picks, the rolls, uh, finishing around the basket. He's a great offensive rebounder. Again, you heard Lawrence Frank mention motor and energy repeatedly um, after the draft Thursday night. And the great thing is he's really good in transition, not just as your typical trailer big man transition stuff, but Musa can grab and go. So he's got that going for him. But the theoretical defensive things, you look at a guy, oh, he's quick, you know, twitch and he's switchable and he's long and he's tall and he's got these great hands. Musa's got to be better defensively. And that's going to be the real project because he didn't block a lot of shots. But he also wasn't really great at forcing turnovers. He was consistently in foul trouble. And he wasn't even that good of a defensive rebounder. The overaggression was something that was significantly to his detriment. Um, and that's you, it's not the worst thing in the world because at least he's interested in playing hard and he'll do that. But it's got to be productive. It's got to be uh something that helps the team. And there are so many areas. I'm I'm cliff noting this and I'm going to keep it concise because I still got to write on this dude. But um, that's the thing that, you know, you hope to see some flashes. All summer league is his flashes. Don't get too excited about summer league, but yeah. he, it's a, it's going to be a project. Most likely on a two way contract, it's going to be a project to get Musa to be disciplined um, on the floor as disciplined as he is off the floor. That's what I'll say about Musa Diabate. Yeah, and it's a good breakdown. And it's not often that second rounders become dudes that are contributors. I mean, some do, no doubt about that. We just talked about Jalen Brunson, but you're asking a lot for him to become a guy that eventually becomes a part of your rotation. Not everyone could be Brandon Boston Jr., a guy that was initially going to be a top 10 pick and all of a sudden slides all the way towards the 50s in the draft. And you mentioned Jason Preston, Summer League should be fun. Preston, Brandon Boston Jr., and, and Diabate. The Clippers, for the first time in a little while, it feels like law, they finally have a little bit of youth that they can try and groom and uh, uh, bring it towards baseball, like a minor league farm system. 
The Clippers were terrible at drafting for years and years and years. It feels like now they finally have some talent they can work with. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to crown the Clippers um, yeah, anytime soon. That's fair. Um, yeah, I want to. I want to see them play it out. Um, as good of a prospect Preston is, um, I think it says a lot that the Clippers still were like they're they're basically going to block him mm-hmm. um, next year. You know, um, as many flashes as Brandon Boston Jr. showed, he's someone who has to show that the outline of his game can get filled in a little more like as much on ball juice as he seems to have. And as much as he works on that jumper, I need to see that jumper go in a little more. I need to see them drives can be converted to points or free throw attempts a little more. I need to see a little more uh, vision with the playmaking, you know? Yeah. Um, and then with Diabate, the Clippers did not pick the best player available at 43. They did pick the best prospect available as far as the fit that they needed to complete this overall sense of a young core that they are developing. So I think you're right on in, in that sense, Brandon. I think uh, it's really nice how they have complementary young talent. I think that's something that I was expecting. I always expected them to be more likely to draft a big more than another wing or, or, or a, uh, a guard, and they did that. And the player that they drafted was someone that fit perfectly for developmental purposes. And you know what? The best case scenario is Diabate is so good that they feel like they need him on the playoff roster this year. If things don't go the way they would like uh, perfectly in free agency, we'll see. We're a few weeks away from determining how that goes with the roster. But more than likely, Another best case scenario, if things do go according to plan for the Clippers, like Isaiah coming back somehow, yeah. is Diabate is your backup center next year. That would be a crazy outcome, but mm-hmm. that's the that's that's kind of what you're looking at. Being like, okay, a player who shows so much promise over this next year that going into the 2023 offseason, the Clippers are like, we have our backup center. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how he does and what it means for the Clippers. Man, Law, you're great, man. I I love having you on. You know your stuff. Law Murray, the NU on Twitter. You can read him in The Athletic. He does some awesome stuff, including what I mentioned earlier. You had a breakdown of John Wall. Immediately did a breakdown yesterday. I was going to have Law on yesterday. He's like, you know what? I got to gather my knowledge. I got to talk to people. I got to figure it out. He immediately had something up within a couple hours. And a great piece that says a lot about what John Wall will do with the Clippers and who it affects. So, Law, always appreciate you having um, the time to jump on and uh, talk because you know a lot. So I appreciate it, man. Hey, I appreciate the outreach and the flexibility of what we do. And when I say we, I don't mean uh, people like me, but people like you, man. Um, it It's a lot going on. Yeah. 2022 means you have to react to a lot. So. I just really appreciate you being flexible uh, and also reaching out and having this great conversation. And we'll see if any of it matters this time next week. Yes, sir. You can read him at The Athletic. Get a subscription. It's not expensive at all, and it's worth every single penny. Follow him on Twitter at LawMurrayTheNU. You can follow me on Twitter at BDMarcus. We'll talk to you after free agency concludes. Until next time, I'm Brandon Marcus, and go Clips.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.